Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park Greetings from Longtime No See the Podcast. Every week we'll be inviting two blindfolded comedians to answer a series of questions about their careers, lives, and opinions. Now, let's remove those blindfolds and start the show. Hi! <laughs> what would your opening line with your celebrity crush be? Loved you in Harry Potter. <laughs> Worst date you've been on. A man bit my neck mole off once. You did what? A man bit my neck mole off. Oh my god, Jack almost fell off his chair. <laughs> be sure to follow and subscribe to the podcast. Are you ready for season three of Discography? We're jumping into the deep end of The Who. Not only will we go through every Studio Who album in great detail, but their story is often told between albums, so we'll be touching on non-album singles, the solo works of Keith Moon, John Entwistle, Roger Daltrey, and Pete Townsend, and some of the events that would make a record begin as a concept and land as something that would universally change the world. Discography returns to Consequence Podcast Network in January of 2019, Until then, be lucky. Consequence Podcast Network. Welcome to another edition of Kyle Meredith with. It's an audio interview series presented by WFPK Independent Louisville at WFPK.org. Consequence of Sound and the Consequence Podcast Network. Uh, before we get started, please do hit the subscribe button wherever you're listening from right now. Whether you're uh, checking us out on Apple Podcasts uh, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts from, Spotify or YouTube, you can subscribe there as well. I'm Kyle Meredith. It's a special episode today with three guests. I'm going to be talking with Sarah Bettens from K's Choice, Jill Sobiel, and Tracy Thorne. All three released records in 2018, and there's lots to get into. In fact, we'll start out with Kay's Choice, who uh, actually they released two. There was a live record that celebrated the 25th anniversary of the band. And then the new record, Love Equals Music, that has a tie-in with a television show. We'll also talk about their late 90s involvement with Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And while we're in the late 90s, the uh, 20th anniversary of their record, Cocoon Crash. And what the future holds for Kay's Choice. It's Kyle Meredith with Sarah Bettens of Kay's Choice. Hi, how are you? Well, first off, uh, it, it looks like it's been a very busy year for uh, for Kay's Choice. I mean, um, I, I want to get to the new record here in just a moment, but you guys sort of got started into the new year with, with a live album, right? Yeah, just celebrating the 25 years of Kay's Choice, which has been super fun. It's, I mean, it's bittersweet, you know. On the one hand, it's like, wow, we're super old. <laughs> um, and at the same time, you know, very proud of what we've done and, uh and and mostly because we're we we still are having a good time and we still feel like we're making records that we're very proud of and and um and we realize that that's not you know that's not a given for everybody to still be going and still be together and still be having a good time and still feel creative so it's it's been a fun way to celebrate i mean just to repeat you on some of that too i mean 25 years that's that's definitely a huge accomplishment and you know even make it past 10 years and and still <laughs> You know, I know, I know, I know. Everything is so, you know, it's just so fast right now. I mean, when we started, you know, there was time. There was time for artist development, and you know, you didn't have to have the single out, and then if it's not successful, successful in the first ten days, it's your career's over. Like so, that you know, we kind of had the luxury, I think, of of coming up in a time where we had some time to develop as a band and develop as songwriters, and but it's nice to have the. It's nice to have the longevity now, and even in this day and age where everything's going so fast, we we still have our uh, loyal fan base who you know who, who keeps looking for for that same thing. 
Now, now, where was the uh, the album itself recorded? Was this at the end of the tour? Yeah, it was. It's one of those places that's kind of like like a, almost like a home away from home. It's a place in Brussels. Uh, it's a beautiful venue, and and actually, of all the venues I've played in the world, especially of that size, it's about a seventeen eighteen hundred size, I think. Um, it's one of the best venues I've ever played in sound wise. It's built especially for that. Um, they have a recording studio attached to it. And that's always like when we do a tour in Europe, that's kind of like our, our, our hometown, even though we didn't grow up in Brussels, but that's our Belgian show where, you know, our, our fans from the beginning come and it's always a big night for us. So we thought it was appropriate to, uh, to do the recording there, but we, we specifically scheduled it not at the beginning of the tour. So we'd be, we'd be nice and ready and it wouldn't be the, one of those nerve wracking, like, Oh my gosh, we've never done this. And now everything's going to be recorded live. Kind of deal. <laughs> right. Well, I know one of the, one of the cool things about this too, it's the, um, live, uh, the live recording debut of, uh, of Virgin State of Mind, which one of your great, great That's songs. True. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't even think about that. I'd point out that that one um, sort of famous for being on the uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer soundtrack, and I don't know if you've you've know, you've heard, but they're now rebooting that show. They're bringing it back. Different. I just yeah. I just read that somewhere. <laughs> so. Yeah, I was like, oh, we got to get a song in there. <laughs> <laughs> it's exactly what you have to do. Yeah, that was really you know that was really special for us, and it's kind of like um, that song has has really held up with Buffy fans, like. We all over the world where we go, and we were just in Israel not that long ago, and people talk about that episode and that song, and uh, and especially also here in the states, it it, it made a big impact because it was such a it had such a cult following, you know. And then the fact that not only the the song was in the show, but that we actually got to be in it um, in the episode was uh, that was very special. When I met my wife and we started talking music, I think it was in the very first week we got together. She said. But have you heard that song? Do you know this song? Oh, how cool. Yeah. I like that. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, you know, how we associate visuals and, and, and music all the time. And, you know, especially, you know, we, I came up and, you know, and I was, uh, I was a late teen in the late 90s, you know, going into my 20s. And, mm-hmm. and it just seemed like everything was soundtrack related at that point. And, you know, I, I do. I have that attachment as well to, you know, those those songs and those episodes. And I can still picture every single one of them when they come on. Yeah, that's funny. It's actually interesting when I think about it because it was it's one of those songs that we had at the ready because it didn't fit onto any of our records. And usually, often when a song doesn't fit, it's because it's just not good enough. You know, like the, the, rarely are there ever like gems that like ah oh, it didn't make the record you know because it just wasn't the right you know right fit or something it's usually because it's just not quite you know just quite, doesn't quite hold up like the other ones do and i feel like virgin state of mind was truly an exception it really was too different from the rock stuff that we had going at that time but we were dying to use it for something and it was such a perfect opportunity to use it for that and and uh you know it it we never really, I have a solo project going right now where that's electronic and no rock and stuff. But other than that, like with Case Choice, we've never really ventured in that direction, even though the song was so successful. Yeah, well, I'm so happy you all did, <laughs> certainly. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, actually, while we're kind of hanging around that era, I, I, I did want to bring up, because uh, this is the 20th anniversary year of, uh, of Cocoon Crash, what, it, did, I don't know, did, since, we're, since we're sort of, like I said, in, the, in that space and time, what comes to mind when you think about that one? Because, because this was the follow up to basically uh, a breakthrough record, you know, a worldwide smash. This is yeah. the one that comes after that. I have very mixed emotions about Cocoon Crash, not about the quality of the record, um, and and we were able to do amazing things with it. But I, I I'll always feel, and to to this day, that we could have gone one step further. Yeah. With it. How so? Um, just, you know, we were writing Paradise in Me and the success of Not an Addict. And, and of course, Not an Addict was a unique song. And, and, and I always felt like, you know what, Believe and Everything for Free can follow that up. You know, we can sustain, especially since we have the kind of fans, we've, had, we've always had the kind of fans from the beginning who really wanted to know everything about us. You know, it was never about one song. It was never like, oh, let's play Not an Addict at the end of our set because everybody leaves after. Like, people were always... People were always into all of it, you know. They knew all the songs by heart. They wanted to know all about Case Choice. So I feel like those people were all into Believe and Everything for Free as well. But I don't know. It was like a 
it was one of those deals where we were signed to a Belgian label and then uh, Epic 550 was kind of the sub-label. And I think if we had been signed directly to Sony here mm-hmm. and, you know, Epic 550 had the benefit of having all of us instead of like a tiny little chunk, I think I think Cocoon Crash could have could have gone to another level because it was, you know, our live shows were going amazing. We had the store going with uh, Tonic and the Verve Pipe and we were doing all those sheds, you know, those radio uh, those radio shows that year. And, and the follow-up was, was very successful in Europe. You know, believe in everything for free, followed, not an addict, fine. And, and uh, yeah, and it just kind of like, just kind of lacked that extra little punch where, you know, to get from, in those days, to get from zero to 250,000 albums is way harder than to get from 250 to 500, right, you know? Right. Like, it's that, it's that first part that's so hard. And, uh, yeah, it's just that, that extra push that I feel like, you know what, it could have gone a little, I mean, I don't want to, like, you know, dwell on it and with huge regret or something. We've had an amazing career. But I, since you mentioned Cocoon Crush and that era, that's always the first thing I think about when it comes to the States. Right. Like, the, the, there could have been an extra little push there that I think would have would have put us in a slightly different category. You know, I was, I was thinking that, you know, in any era, and I could name a handful right now, there always seems to be that one producer that everybody wants. And I wasn't aware until recently that, you all had worked with uh, Gil Norton on that, which, I mean, he, he was working with everyone at that point, you know, it was... Yeah, 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 yeah. He was amazing. And and uh, it's one of the reasons I'm still really proud of that record, because, uh, you know, once in a while, if we haven't toured for a couple of months or something, and I, I, I put Believer Everything for free back on and play along, sing along, make sure I'm ready for the tour, mm-hmm. it surprises me every time, like, wow, it sounds so good still, you know? Yeah. It's just, a rock, like, rock guitar-wise, you know? It was so... It was just the right mixture, uh, and I don't have it with everything I listen to that we've made for sure. Like you know, things that I listen back to, like oh, I guess it was good at the time, but <laughs> that didn't really that didn't really stand the test of time that much. But with with those songs like Coon Crash and and Believe Everything for Free, I listen to them. It's like wow, that that is it's a great guitar sound, great drum sound. It's still it, it holds up still today. Like I'm still he did a fantastic job. I I, I loved working with him. He's he was and he really kind of. He was one of those producers that wasn't afraid to dig into the songs as well. And, I mean, my brother and I wrote everything, but we definitely had like a week where he just sat in the middle of the room and threw things out there and we tried some things and believe it's it's, uh, definitely a great example of where he kind of kept pushing us, pushing us until it turned into the song that it was. It was completely different in the beginning. So... So he was, yeah, he was, he was someone we wanted to work with. We were very proud that he wanted to work with us, and it, and it worked out great. Well, it's a solid-sounding record. I, I enjoyed uh, jumping back into that one as well. But <laughs> um, yeah, but but not yeah. So so let's get back out of the past and, and into the present because the the newest one is uh, is called Love Equals Music. Now there's a whole concept of this, right? The, of this album. Yeah, so it's kind of like we did a, a TV show in uh, in Belgium, and it's a concept. I kind of hope that it, it'll come to the States as well, because I think it'll do well. Six bands or six artists get together. They, to some remote, you know, we ended up in uh, Barcelona, some somewhere in a house near Barcelona. And the idea is to cover each other's songs. So the preparation is all done ahead of time. It's with it's always the same band. And of course, the, this whole show stands on this band because the, the band was world class, which made everything sound amazing. So, so you rehearse ahead of time, but none of, the other, none of the other artists know what the other artists are playing of them. And you're, you can go really far with the covers. You can translate into a different language. You can, you know, write different chords. You can make it, you can turn a reggae song into a rock song. You can do whatever you want. It just has to have, you know, it just has to kind of be a cover and still have some of the original. And then so um, when, when we're at the house in Spain, we spend a week there and two shows get recorded every day there. And then, and like one artist is like the main artist and everyone else that night performs that artist's songs. And it was, it was super fun. It's kind of like, I was reluctant at first because I have such an aversion toward reality TV. I thought like, ah, we're going to be in a house and they're going to film us and you know, drama. I'm not into that. (laughs) And, um, and I was assured because I live in Belgium, so I've never really seen the show. And I was assured it's it's all it's all happy. Everyone's happy to be there. There's no drama. That's not what the reason they're doing it. They just want everyone to look great, and they want the music to sound great. 
And then I heard some of the songs, and I'm, and I'm like, wow, it's like how many shows are there still on TV where there's so much music, right. you know, the full songs. like the, So there's like seven full songs in an episode every night. And, of course, it's all mixed and mastered afterwards, and it sounds, I mean, it sounds like a million bucks. It's amazing. So the, so the recordings are those live recordings that are on the record. So we decided, like, this is a great opportunity for my brother and I to kind of do a little acoustic tour, the two of us, play those songs, do some songs from, since we're kind of celebrating, you know, the 25 years, kind of in the vein of that also, do some songs that we grew up with that are important to us, so that that's going to be part of the tour. But yeah, this record is, is, is mostly songs from that TV show, and then we added some acoustic things that we've done over the years. Yeah, I was thinking, looking at some of these, like, you know, a song like Stand My Ground, you know, this original yeah. heavy song, or I'm so excited, you know, which was, uh, you know, a much more yeah. poppy thing, you know, breaking them down to this basic sound. I mean, it sort of says a lot about the clothes we put on music. You know, it's it's when we when we kind of throw it to it to a genre or whatever that it can, you know, they're not as all different as I think we make them out to be. Exactly. And that's actually what makes it really interesting is that songs, even if it's not your genre, the reason they hold up is because they're good. Mm-hmm. And you, exactly what you're saying, you throw a different jacket on it and it's like, oh, you know, now I'm hearing the lyrics for the first time or something, you know, because you're you're approaching it in a different way. And, um, you know, the, even if you're not a disco fan, if you hear, you know, the reason why I'm so excited stands the test of time is because it's a fantastic song and you can put that in all kinds of different jackets and it would still be amazing. And actually, since you mentioned that, another thing I that that was very interesting for me that I learned at this TV show is that I was a little nervous before we left because the other artists were not at all in our genre and not all necessarily music that I'm a fan of. And I thought, like, I don't know if this is going to be fun. You know, you want it to be everything that you put your name on musically. You want it to be, you know, high quality. You know, you want to be part of something that's actually that's that's good that everybody wants to listen to. And it was such an eye opener for me. And I was a little mad at myself for having to learn this at you know, the age of 45, it was such an eye-opener. It's like, oh, my gosh, we're all doing the same thing. It's so obvious right now. You know, we were all sitting there in the house. We're all doing each other's songs with so much love and respect, and everyone worked really hard on their versions, really trying to make something special. And I realized while I was there, like, wow, why did I, why did I doubt this, and why did I feel like maybe we don't belong here, and or, or that some of the others don't really belong here why why was i like that ahead of time like everyone here is doing the exact same thing it's in a different genre it might not be exactly what i listen to or what i would put on myself but it's all it's all kind of the same deal you know it's just like all these these little you know boxes that we make ahead of time like where things fit into they're so incredibly unnecessary and a week like that was was amazing for us it really was an amazing experience to be with musicians that we would never teamed up with and share this music every night that we're, we were all so happy with so it was it was it was really cool yeah. Really, I'm really glad I did it. And I do love the way it it all kind of laid out in those different genres all over this record, the different languages that you've uh, uh, put on some of these songs. And, of course, you know, a, a few of them are, are nice. Um, uh, I'll call them. Uh, what, I mean, they're just pretty, you know, straight and uh, similar to the original, like no one knows. You know, I, I, I would never right, have right, expected yeah, yeah. to hear Kay's Choice do Queens of the Stone Age. <laughs> you know, but there it is, and it sounded great. Well, at the end of every episode, the band that was featured that night got to do a cover of their own. Like, all right, now you guys all played my song. Now I'm going to play something that I love, um, but that's not mine. And so that was our pick for the night was uh, Queens of the Stone Age. So we, we didn't want, not want to mess with it. We just <laughs> like, that's, I'm just going to try to sing it as well as I can. And I knew the band was fantastic and I knew they could pull it off. Because I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't touch that with any band, <laughs> you know, with just any band. That song, you know, it's got, if it doesn't rock, it's just not worth it. Right. But yeah, it's just like after all the, you know, soft-spoken, intimate, acoustic stuff. It's like, all right, <laughs> gotta, we gotta stand upright here for a second, grab an electric guitar, and and rock out. Time to crank it up. Uh, it should bring up. There is one new song on it, right? Meaningless. Yeah, that was actually a song that we wrote for our last studio album, The Phantom Cowboy, mm-hmm. which is probably the most Queens of the Stone stuff we've ever done. Uh-huh. And we were determined 
to have that song rock all the way, uh, I mean, that album rock all the way through. It was actually one of the only times we've made an album where we've said, like, no acoustic guitars. Every song has to be fun to play live. You know, there could be no songs that were like, ah, live, it's not perfect. You know, everything has to just, like, and you got to imagine playing these songs in a sweaty 150-capacity club where everyone's too close together. And that was kind of the concept. And so Meaningless was this beautiful song that my brother had written that completely did not fit that mold. (laughs) In a million years, so we had it still, and and uh, but I thought it was a beautiful song, so it was kind of it was kind of a perfect opportunity to put it on on this one. Now, does uh, you know now that you've been in covers land and and twenty five years land, and, and it's been a few years since that last studio album, is that something that's in the sights right now? Something that's brewing? We want to keep going. We're still like I was saying earlier. We're still we still feel like we're writing better songs than we ever did, even though the interest has waned and and we realize that people remember us from stuff that we did in the 90s. Creatively, we feel like we're still on on the top of our game. And and I have some other outlets. Like I was saying earlier, I I, uh, have a side project called Rex Rebel and we just recorded, we just finished recording and we're looking at talking to labels right now. It's uh, it's melodic, still but electronic, uh, no guitars really, and that's been super fun because it's really it's an, it's enabling me to do something completely foreign and different, which is challenging and and keeping me really on my toes. And then at the same time, enjoy keep enjoying Case Choice and and uh, and keep writing for that too. It, it's it's one of those things. I don't know if you've noticed that in life, but the harder you work, the more you want to. Like the more the more you're in that zone, like the more creative you get. So Rex Rebel has actually allowed me to enjoy Case Choice more again too, just because I'm having so much fun playing music. And and uh, I think that's been an active. Thing that uh, that I've been looking for throughout these 25 years, I gotta find new things, new little challenges all the time to keep it to keep it interesting and not feel like you're just like your own. You're turning into your own cover band. <laughs> well, I'm <laughs> really happy that you're still doing it too. And then you know, we always enjoy everything that you do, especially around here. It, it was funny yesterday as I was putting the final bits of research on the interview, and I had our station on in the background. Your solo song, "Not Insane." Uh, came on. Ah, cool. And it was just one of those moments that lined up, and it's like, oh, man, this sounds great. Uh, you always sound ah, so good. We're always so happy. Thanks so much. Thanks so much. No problem. Uh, that's it. It was a real, good, real pleasure talking to you, Sarah. I really do appreciate it and, and loving the new record and can't wait to hear all this stuff that you're talking about for the future, too. Great. Thank you so much. All right. Take care. You too. Bye. Bye. My thanks to Sarah Bettens of Case Choice. Again, the new record is called Love Equals Music. Now to my second guest for this episode, Jill Sobiel. She released her first album in quite a while, Nostalgia Kills. It's one of my most recent favorites. We'll talk about some themes behind the songs, how it has a tie-in to another project she's working on called Hashtag Fuck 7th Grade, the nemesis that sort of spurred some of these songs, how it is a concept record, working with John Doe, Wayne Kramer, and Ben Lee, and her brushes with fame. It's Kyle Meredith with Jill Sobiel. How are you, Kyle? It is great to be talking to you again on the, on the radio side of things, to have a, a, an album that, you know, we've had so much fun embracing around here with Nostalgia Kills. Congratulations on this. Thank you. I'm so, I'm really excited about it. I mean, I am, I'm really proud. Yeah. So, uh, uh, and I'm not, I'm not usually a proud person, but I am. It, usually with the records, I'm like, oh, I should have put this one on or I should, oh, but this one, I'm not questioning it. Where, where should we start on this? I, I feel like maybe part of the story at least starts with a certain nemesis, which is a great story that I've loved reading <laughs> from you. And, and I'd wonder if you would, uh, if you would tell that story for us. Well, Okay. About a year and a half ago, I was uh, in Los Angeles at some kind of obnoxious industry party. And uh, I was just walking around and I like to flit around at parties and go for like an hour and then go home. So I noticed there was these three guys that were talking. One guy, I don't know, if publisher, music thing. He goes, yeah, I'm telling you, writers, artists after 40, they can't write a relevant or good song anymore. I can tell you. And from my experience, and the guy looked like he was like 25, too. <laughs> and I just 
and I'm really shy when it comes to not knowing people. And I just walked up to him, and I, I was, like, really nervous. And I go, um, um, I don't know if I said sir, but something like, sir, you're an idiot. It's that I, nothing else could come out, and I walked it back. And I don't know who he is or what he is, but he's been my nemesis ever since. It's so interesting. I mean, around here, it never occurred to us that, you know, like, I don't know, I just uh, added the new record from Marian Faithful, you know, today. It, it just went into rotation as well, and just on and on and on. That, what a bizarre comment because I know any artist will have their, you know, you know the times when maybe they're not uh, writing at the top of their game or whatever, but I, I've never thought that maybe age plays a part of that. It enraged me, and it made me, because there was, there was a time, I think it was also during a period of time when I was, uh, you know, had a breakup, and, and and I was feeling pretty, pretty creative, and I was writing some stuff, and a lot of that is on Nostalgic Hills, so he gave me an extra push, though. <laughs> Well, that is worth uh, bringing up here because it, it, it's not this bro who who sort of spurred everything. Like you had ha- you had been writing, there there had been songs in play already, and it does go in to form a bit of. Um, do you call it a concept record? In a way, it is. And um, what was interesting was Ben Lee, who I had uh, had produce and kind of curate the, the the record, whereas I gave him tons of songs and he picked these songs. And there is a uh, it does it's 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 kind of a reflection of looking back. I mean, it really is. There's a certain nostalgia aspect to the stories, but yet it's also a warning. Of you know to move on, well, and I think it is my, one of my most contemplative records. I don't know when you're mining your past, though. I mean, do you put any parameters as to when you were looking into, or, or I mean, and it sounds like you know when you've got a group of songs like this, maybe that's not so structured in that way, but. But you're not usually one to, um, you know, to mine the past in your songs like that, I guess. And that, I think that's what makes this interesting. So, you know, is it like, oh, it, it, it's this one point in my life or these several points in my life that these kind of, you know, touch on? Well, yeah, interesting, because at the same time, and there's a few songs that, that are on, I, I've i been working on a, a theatrical piece, a one-woman show, and uh, we did it uh, at Joe's Pub in New York, just a reading of it, and at the Pitt City Theater has commissioned it, and it's called, I can't say the whole thing, but the working title is hashtag F. You can actually say it. Have at it, please. Hashtag fuck seventh grade, which I think I already had songs written that seemed to be from that time. I mean, I think Freud might have got it wrong where it's not those first few hours or weeks or months. It's seventh grade. Yeah. It messes you up. (laughs) I I don't think you ever get over it. You ever get over it. And it, it, there was a few songs taken from that, and, and I, I don't think we changed from that either. I've got a son about to go. I mean, he's in fifth grade now, but it's coming up, and, and that's been on my mind. And so when I read about this, it's like, oh, <laughs> like, and there's no way to prepare someone for this, right? There's just no way. Well, not everyone, you know, and also it's, you know, I was saying no matter how cool or wonderful your parents are, you're still going to suffer. You're still going to be a mess. So I was going to say at one point, well, you know, you're probably an amazing dad whose son can go and talk to him about anything, but I'm not sure that matters. Yeah, because there you are alone on your, you know, you're, 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 I'm not with him, you know. That's an island. He's off on the island. <laughs> I don't want to bring an island of yeah, lost toy. <laughs> yes, and you've got, uh, you know, a time when uh, your peers actually become more important than your parents. You, your hormones are raging and you're figuring out your identity ah. so that's that this is simultaneous then of, of the record you, you're you know fuck seventh grade and nostalgia kills these are so, sort of running parallel yeah they, they just were happening at the same time you know backing up a little bit or, or, or maybe i think we're looking in the future i forget where the timeline is here but yentl and Times square these are two other things that you have been working on or are working on yeah, Yentl, uh, there was, you know, of course, everyone knows the Barbara Streisand vehicle, but it was a, a beautiful short story by Basha Isaac, a singer. And then it was a play in the 70s taken from that, and it, uh, they asked me to put music to the, the, the theater piece. And it was, it was pretty, I kind of made it punk klezmer. 
Punk Klezmer. That's interesting. Punk Klezmer. In fact, we did it one night at Lincoln Center. We did music from Yentl, and I worked with an all-woman's Klezmer band whose name actually is Isle of Klezbos. <laughs> That's awesome. Which is just a great band name. It is. I was just thinking with, um, you know, with projects like that, I mean, you know, it seems like that's very expansive writing, like what you can do with a song uh, when, you, when you're writing for any kind of uh, musical or theater piece or something like that. You know, it, there's a lot more options than maybe what a lot of people do within pop parameters. And is there any challenge for you that when, when you've been doing this for a while now to bring it back into that structure that we think of as a pop song? Well, no, because I don't think I I don't think I write pop songs. I mean, I think or I don't attempt to. I think I think first of all, the things I've done for the theater, I think they're looking for non-traditional theatrical writers. So it's my stuff isn't jazz hands right. for the theater. <laughs> I wouldn't know how to do it. <laughs> so it's not that different from what I do. I would do on my record. And I'm a storyteller anyway. So I'm not a traditional pop, like modern pop writer. I, I mean, I still think I come from a kind of singer, songwriter, storytelling world. And I, and I, I, I should clarify, I, I do use pop not so much in the in the thought of top 40, just anything that's not, you know, like pop is, is rock, is, right. is singer, song, you know, whatever, in, in that type right. of thing. So it's the, uh, oh, the chorus yeah, structure. That. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I got that. Um, but um, I mean, a part of me wishes I could write like a pop song and try to get other people to cover it. But no one's really covered any of my songs. Yeah, that's so. going to change. That's got to change. It's got to exactly. change. Exactly. <laughs> Well, to, you know, to be a part of all these 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 things sort of goes into that title track too with nostalgia kills because there's that refrain, right? We have to keep moving or die. I noticed there was a time period that was just. It, it, I think I wrote it after like an, an. I went in the the wormhole of googling like toys and music that I used to listen to when I was in seventh grade, and and then I started thinking, oh my god, am I becoming like my grandparents who listened to Lawrence Welk, you know, know, made us all, you know, watch the shows they liked. It's like, no, I can't go there. You have to meet. And in a a personal life, I was going through a breakup and moving it. And um, I, I think sometimes your past glories or your past pains can hold you back. And I, I felt like, no, I, I need a new chapter in my life. So there's a a lot of levels to that song. I mean, that's something that I've, I've talked about uh, around here with my job uh, quite a few times over the years is struggling with nostalgia because there is the comfort. And, and most of the time what I'm talking about is the music like, you know, I could lose myself down the 90s wormhole very easy and be very comfortable. But here I am at a little past an age where most people stop trying to discover new art. And, and I'm too uh, obsessive not to keep doing that. But but it is that challenge sometimes of not doing what you said, not not doing the old Lawrence Welk thing. You know, it's like, and, and, and this is, <laughs> we're going to throw on some, you know, whatever it is, you know, it's uh, of resting there. It's um. Very I can imagine, like my grandparents, or what we feed, you know, to our grandkids. It's like, God, why is she still listening to Nirvana? God. Exactly. So I get your struggle on that, and I think that's what resonated with me on this record is, uh, you know, having an artist actually write about that. Like, I don't, I don't know that I've ever heard an artist use that subject specifically. You know? Yeah. I mean, you know, when I, it's interesting what that. I also think that I, when I'm writing, I try to sometimes write things that I don't think anyone's talked about this before. Yeah, like uh, um, like this specifically, or or, or, or other. Are no, there I'm other just saying too? in general. I I like to write like, oh, here's something, a subject matter, something that occurs to me that I'm not sure I've heard in a song. Yeah. So I, I think that is is with nostalgia kills that that is, uh, or even Island of Lost Things. It's like at first that was written about imagining this this mythical island where you know all the things we've lost from you know the phone to the keys to the one sock but then it evolved into more of a deeper and existential eventually uh, uh path where it's you know losing your identity or losing 
your your loved ones losing people um and that was something that i hadn't heard in that way yeah exactly and then um almost great i mean that also does that uh touch on you know the brush with fame and everything as well well, yeah. I mean, I I think you know I had a I had a couple hits in the '90s, and as opposed to some of my peers who were, like I said, I I I think I don't know if I had a it wasn't a lack of ambition. I've always had an ambition, but there's there's a part of me that that a touch of being a slacker, a touch of being no, I just want to write what I want to write, and not being calculating to to figure out how to play the game, whatever that game is. And so I think almost great is this kind of a satirical look back on, you know, <laughs> there were all these, you know, I was, I almost made it. I was almost there. <laughs> I mean, I know you're not fishing for compliments, but it's an obvious point for me to say, we think you're all the way great. Oh, thank you. It's so funny what the, there was an article in, what that just came out where they were talking to me about success, what success means. And, uh, you know, like you, one person could say, yeah, you know, you were successful. You know, it's the whole thing. She was just a one hit wonder. Well, buddy, did you ever have, did you ever even have one hit? Right. Did you, you know, what, uh, or, uh, what is, what is success in different people's eyes? Is it that you had to, you know, be a Beyonce level? Do you have to be, it, it's, it's kind of messed up. Yeah. Our idea of success and, and, and also I think it's, it's even more so now, like is success by how many likes or hits you get on, 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 on your Instagram or your, it's kind of got the Kardashian reality show world idea of success, being successful for how, not for what you've done, not for the quality of your work, but how many people go on your Twitter page right. or something. And then even when you're the artist and, and, and you've got a song that's doing, you know, that, 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 that is making the big bucks for that moment or whatever, you know, or the whatever, the attention, rather. It's usually about like, okay, so I've, that, that's happened. How do I continue that? You know, it's, it, to me, that success, when you're the one in the middle of it, is never felt because you're always wondering about the next step. Like, what do I have to do next, you know? Yeah, I mean, in fact... I wish there was a part of me that when, say, in the 90s, mid-90s, when I had uh, Kiss the Girl and Supermodel, and you know what? Uh, I regret uh, that I didn't enjoy it more. Not uh, always thinking, well, and of course, you've got a team around you, too, who are thinking the same way. Well, okay, well, what does that mean now? You've got to, you know, you don't have time to, you know, enjoy your sandwich you have to right. <laughs> keep moving on to the next thing which to me that's not success to me i i feel like the only people who probably feel honestly successful is someone like elton john you know <laughs> george clooney uh you know madonna you know some, someone who's who's been so far through that that it doesn't matter what they do for the rest of their life They're like yeah i'm good I'm good, you know. It's... But maybe they don't feel. Maybe they don't feel. Maybe Madonna's still feeling like she has to keep up, and that's why she's always, you know, trying to look younger, trying to, uh, you know, maybe she isn't. Maybe it's she always has to be on a kind of. Maybe she feels desperate all the time. I don't know. Right, right. You, that's completely true, though. That that's could be the case. And where you got someone like maybe like. Billy Joel, who hasn't written a song in '93, and since '93, and he's like, "Yeah, I haven't written a song since '93, but I sell out Madison Square Garden every time." It's like, "Fuck you," <laughs> you know. Maybe he feels like, you know, I don't know how these people feel, but you've got to kind of respect them for that. Right. Some guy who's admitting, like, "Yeah, I haven't written since '93," and you know what? I'm not going to do it not either. Not do it. <laughs> I'll bring it back to this record too with Nostalgia Kills because it sort of wraps up with a cover with uh, with Ooh Child and uh, it, it, I mean this is the turnaround. Is this you talking to that seventh grade you like things are going to get better? Well, yeah. There's a, there's a song of mine called Headphones and and it's it's really about me the the junior high school girl who was you know I, I was pretty much of a loner and 
confused and depressed and the one thing that saved me was was the music of course and i i had an older brother six years older so i had i had the cooler cooler music than my peers did but you know i remember having these huge ass headphones and i would just you know that I, you know after school i'd just be listening to music till you know, till late at night, early in the morning. And, and uh, so it, it's kind of, uh, I mentioned at the end of the song, some of the songs that, that somehow touched me or meant a lot to me. And I mentioned Uchab for some reason, that was a song that, that gave me hope. And uh, after we recorded that song, I was just in the studio playing uh, as a goof, Uchab, and we said, let's record it. So, yeah. The album ends with that. I mean, it's it's a great way to end this story too, because that's that is definitely something that I would tell, you know, my son or 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 any person going through that part of their life. Like this is going to be a little rough. It's you you will experience turbulence, but it'll get better. Yeah, I mean that's the thing is you tell kids. It's like what is it? Youth is wasted on the young, or right, whatever that right. quote is. Yeah. You know that that you know the thing that I didn't know back then is that. Everybody was miserable <laughs> for right. the most part, and I, w- I wish I would have. You think you thought you were the only one, and uh, I wish I would. That would have given me some some amount of comfort to know everybody else felt this way. Well, uh, and before I get off, I'll also point out uh, we're such big fans of of John Doe and Wayne Kramer, and seeing that they were on your your album as well. That's that's exciting. Oh, Wayne! I've known Wayne for I've known both of them for over twenty years, and they've both been such almost mentors. They they've been so supportive and so good to me. And I think I'm going to go down to Austin and do of uh, the song that I wrote with um, John, and 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 we'll do a little video of uh, the duet we did. It's very romantic. Mm. It's fun. And you, by the way, you've worked with uh, Wayne with the uh, Jail Guitar Doors too, right? Yeah, I've played many a prison with Wayne, and Wayne Wayne is one of my heroes. I mean, he does the good work. He's incredible. Yeah, I've, I've he organizes, as you know, jail guitar doors, and I've played for what six hundred inmates, male inmates, and it was it's the jail gigs are, are actually my my favorite shows. It's a it's a Playing for an audience that is starving for for entertainment and, and starving for people to treat them as as human beings. Uh, he's doing some great work with that, and I'm happy to hear that you're working. I mean, you do a lot of great work with a lot of different ways, and that's I know just one of them. So, oh, thank you, Jill. Congratulations on Nostalgia Kills. It's great to have uh, another record from you again in a in a catalog that's just you know we, we love what you do. Oh, I'm so glad there's someone there. There, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Anytime, every time. All right, I'll see you. All right, take care. Bye. Bye. Big thanks to Jill Sobiel talking about that new record, Nostalgia Kills. And now my third guest for this episode, Tracy Thorne. This was one I recorded earlier in the year when she had just released her new album called Record or Record. However you look at it. In fact, we'll talk about that a little bit. Also, how the social and political climate sort of spurred this record when she hadn't exactly planned on making a new album. It's got an electronic bin that, yes, is representative of some of that everything but the girl sound. We'll also talk about her working uh, with Warpaints and Corinne Bailey Ray on this uh, album. And speaking of everything but the girl, that idea of uh, working with her husband professionally once again. It's Kyle Meredith with Tracy Thorne. Hi, hello. How are you? Good, thanks. How are you? I'm becoming exceedingly mildly obsessed with uh, your new record here. That's good to hear. Thank you. <laughs> Uh, everything sounds so good. I, you know, I feel like there's probably a play on that title. I'd wondered if you uh, if you made the hard choice. Is it record or record? I mean, it's deliberately ambiguous. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, I, I I tend to say record, but I guess you know one of the things I'm saying about this is because I don't tour and I don't play live anymore. Uh, the thing I do do is I record and I've made a record. So you know, it's both those things. It, it's kind of drawing attention to the the, the bit of music that I do still um, get engaged with. I've talked to a lot. Of artists lately uh, about sort of pulling back from touring and and for various reasons, some out of necessity, financial necessity, and and some because they've just made that choice in, in their life for whatever reason. And and I gotta say, as a fan, I'm not let down by that. Like if it means that I get more music 
Like that's that's a big payoff for me. Well, that's good to hear, you know, because I hate feeling like, you know, it looks like I'm, I don't know, not committed enough or not trying enough because I always feel like for me, especially now where, where I am this stage in my life, working in the studio is where I feel I, I give of my best. And, you know, I feel confident in the studio. I feel in control and I feel like I can come up with loads of ideas. So to me, it feels like a really positive thing just to make that a strength, you know, work on the the area of music where I feel I can give my best. So, yeah, I I don't like feeling like, you know, it it looks like I'm letting anyone down. I I hope it doesn't. Interesting with that, then, you know, the record, of course, starts uh, in this great single Queen. But there's that opening line, here I go again, down that road again. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Which is a really good way to start a record and a song, by the way. But is that is that sort of lead into what you're talking about here? Is that getting back into the machine again? Yeah, it is a little bit. You know, I mean, when I started out making the record and recording that song, I didn't necessarily know that would be the opening track. But once we'd finished and I looked at them all and, you know, listened to them all in different orders, and I just thought, look, that's the perfect way to start the record. You know, it's like I've been away for a little while, um, but here I go again. There's almost an element, I think, of me sounding slightly surprised as well. You know, how did I get how did I get here again? Um, and I was slightly surprised. I didn't if you'd asked me two years ago, I didn't know I was on my way to making another album. I only had a couple of songs at that stage and I was feeling, you know, maybe I won't make another album for quite a long time. And then I got very inspired very quickly and the rest of the rec- the rest of the songs came together very fast. I'm excited to be doing it but just as surprised as anyone. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting I guess to hear that too because I I know you know creative people you sort of have the need to be creative and and to you know, know that you're not going to be touring and that there's just possibility that maybe, you know, there's not a record on the way. I, I don't know. Uh, are you comfortable enough in your life where that's not a scary sensation or was that ever sort of like, oh, no? It's something you have to learn to live with. Um, I mean, I think, you know, both Ben and I, having you know been doing music for a long time, we've got used to those gaps in between the projects and those lulls when, you know, you don't feel like you're working hard and those times when the ideas don't come. And it can be scary, but when you've, you know, when you sort of been through it a few times, you just have to trust that even if you haven't got an idea at the moment, that, you know, another one will be along at some point. Uh, it might not be immediately, but, you know, hopefully something will come. So, yeah, you have to you have to try and persuade yourself to be relaxed about it. So you say the uh, the moment of inspiration finally did hit. What was the uh, what was the culprit if there was one? It's hard to ever, you know, pin it down. But I, strangely, it was to do with, you know, getting this sounds weird, but to do with getting depressed about um, world events and mm-hmm. politics. And, you know, this feeling of everything, I don't know, speeding up and becoming very extreme and the news starting to feel quite overwhelming. And like a lot of people, I was getting sucked into that, you know, feeling like I was constantly looking at my phone, seeing a news alert, you know, a news flash going off, breaking news, going back to social media and everyone screaming about something. And I just thought this this is starting to drive me mad. And I think, you know, maybe those feelings of helplessness and powerlessness would be best addressed by actually just making something, you know, do turning back to that thing I can do, which is I can make music. And I think I'll just feel like I'm offering something positive into the world. And, you know, it'll be a kind of cheering thing to do. And, and you know, I, I read about how you talk about this record and, and, and kind of like all that you write, you know, writing about specifically uh, either female characters or a female character, whether that's you or in character. But I thought, you know, especially with the movements finally getting the attention they deserve. So there's the big negative side that, you know, you're alluding to that I spent most of my year talking about as well, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, especially over here with, with Trump and everything. Yeah. But it, it does seem like there are those positive things that are finally coming out, whether it's Me Too or or, or any of those. And I sort of wonder, like, does that sort of direct the way you write in, in character at all? Well, I think it's more to do with that, you know, that weird thing that, that you just sometimes find yourself in sync with the times, just as at other moments you find yourself out of sync with the times. Um, you know, I've I've written similar kinds of songs for a very long time now, um, and there have been periods in the past when I've been writing songs, you know, as you just said, talking about stories about women's lives, sometimes very domestic, sometimes very personal, but usually with a kind of edge of feminism in there. And And there have been times in the past where that's made me feel a bit out of sync and like you know people didn't want to hear this that it it wasn't the coolest thing to be talking about but you know here we go we're in another moment
moment where the conversations become public again. Um, and, you know, the good thing at the moment is I feel like, you know, a lot of women are saying things they've been saying for a very long time. But, you know, people are choosing to listen. And, um, you know, there's an atmosphere in which women are being taken seriously and, and their concerns and their stories are being taken seriously. So, you know, in the midst of that, here I am with this record, which, you know, most of which obviously I wrote a year, two years ago, um, and yet which does, yeah, suddenly feel quite in sync with the conversations that are going on everywhere. So that's, it's it's kind of an accident of timing, but it's also just, you know, this, I've been talking about this stuff quite a long time. Right. So. But that, that's got to feel nice, you know. And again, I, I was having a, a conversation with an artist the other day who sort of said the similar thing, like he had written lots of political songs in the past or songs that, you know, touched on politics. Yeah. But people really didn't focus on the words back then. They, it was more just like, oh, that's a catchy song. But now yeah. they're finally focusing on those words. Like that's that's at least still got to be like, awesome, great, finally. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, I've definitely written songs in the past, which I thought were being quite overt about something and literally no one noticed. I mean, I did wonder sometimes whether, you know, maybe I've just been too subtle. I've been, you know, I, I try not to write. I don't write mad, massively polemical songs. I don't want to hit people over the head with a sledgehammer. I'm also trying to make entertaining pop music. But sometimes in the past, perhaps I have written songs that were very subtle. And this time around, you know, there are at least two or three lyrics on the album, which are much more direct and where obviously no one could miss the point. And I think I'm, I'm quite pleased that I've done that. I would hate at this moment to have a record to be coming out there where I you know, felt like I, I hadn't completely said what I thought or that it could be misinterpreted or not be clear. So if, if nothing else, at least I feel this time around, you know, I've on a, on a few songs, I've, I've been pretty direct. You know, I, I will turn the uh, flip the coin here because you, you talk about you, you still do want to make a great pop record. Um, yeah. Electronics play a big part this time around, right? Yeah. I mean, I've worked with you and Pearson, the producer, on, you know, three or four different things now. And we've done a little bit of electronic stuff together, but we've also done quite a lot of more acoustic recording, um, you know, recording me playing guitar and, and piano and, and real drums. But, you know, he's more known as an electronic producer and as a DJ and a remixer. And I felt like I, I perhaps hadn't completely made the most of that before when we'd worked together. So this time I said to him, look, you know, put your electronic hat on. Let, let's really go for that. You know, we both share a love of the Pet Shop Boys and New Order and Grace Jones records. You know, we just sort of said, let's let's let that show. Let's let's make it make it obvious it was good fun and also because as i said i was in this mood of wanting to make a record partly to cheer myself up so you know i wanted to make an upbeat record i wanted to make a record that you know when you put it on it lifted your mood and for me a good way of doing that is to you know have some beats head to the dance floor right. you know let's find some joy in the in the process and there were other collaborators you you've Pulled on uh, a few of my favorite artists uh, with uh, with Half of Warpaint and Corinne Bailey Ray. Yeah, yeah. How did they come into the picture? Well, Warpaint that was sheer luck. You know, we we started talking about how it would be nice to have a real rhythm section on at least a couple of the songs. And I think I said to you and casually, oh well, you know, my dream rhythm section would be Stella and Jenny from Warpaint. And he said, oh yeah, I know Stella. I've got a phone number. <laughs> so um, I think he'd worked with her before on something and just got in touch with her. And then again, luckily. They happened to be over in the UK, I think playing Glastonbury. So, um, you know, they had a couple of days free and um, we got them down into the studio. And, you know, that was just incredible. We thought they might play on two songs. I think Stella ended up playing on about six or seven songs. Cool. Yeah. So she's amazing. And then and with Corinne, I mean, what, yeah. what a great vocalist of our time right there, uh, songwriters as well. Yeah, I think she's an amazing singer and, you know, sometimes doesn't get the the attention I think she deserves just as a as a singer um so you know we actually had almost finished the track and I just thought it it needs someone else there singing with me you know there's still somewhere else this song could go and I think there's room for someone who can sing the parts I can't sing and you know take this into you know just lift it up another level so she was actually pretty busy and didn't have time to come down to us she lives in Leeds so I sent her the track and she did some stuff in her home studio, you know, without any real direction or guidance from me. I just said to her, do what you feel. And, you know, she came up with the, the vocal arrangement of all the backing vocals. And I thought 
the track was sounding pretty good already but you know once she sent it back it sounded amazing <laughs> and it's a bit of the uh, the centerpiece for the record maybe you know yeah. even just not just because of its epicness but also <laughs> it's an eight minute song <laughs> yeah it is and not necessarily intended to be but um you know we had stella and jenny in the studio and john omar playing guitar and the three of them were all playing live together we were just recording the track and the vocal finished and you know after about four minutes and they had this groove going that was so incredible that you and I just looked at each other and said, just let them keep playing. Just keep playing, keep playing. So through the glass, we were sort of waving at them, just going, keep going, keep going. And I think we took 11 minutes in total before they sort of started looking at us going, can we stop yet? But they, you know, literally live, they built in all the kind of breakdowns and then building it back up again. And then Jenny doing something amazing on the bass and Jono going mad on the guitar. Um, you know, it was virtually all done live. Yeah. Uh, you know, we edited it a little bit just to get it down to eight and a half minutes. But, you know, it was incredible. It was just, you know, the song just took off. No, it soars. It really does. Yeah. 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 And of course, another one of the songs I'll ask about, it's hard not to, is, uh, is guitar. Uh, I do love it when musicians sort of make reference and pay tribute to other musicians. And of course, you've got the Leonard Cohen references in there. That's obviously done on purpose or or, or just it's sort of seeped in there. Yeah, I, I mean, I like referencing other songs because, you know, like most people, they're, they're things that, that provide sort of landmarks to moments in your life. When you're remembering back to a specific event, you often remember what was playing. And I'm literally describing a night of my life there when, you know, a boy taught me three chords on the guitar and we sat and last listened to some Leonard Cohen records. I thought he was, you know, the star of the show and the best thing I'd ever met. You know, he was a guitarist in a band. But I think what the song is saying is what I didn't realize at the time was that the real star of the show was my guitar. You know, I just bought this guitar. And as it turns out, that would be the thing that would change my life. You know, that was the moment that I began to make music myself. But, you know, from that point on, I started writing songs. I started singing so it's really a love song to that guitar. The boy just turned out to be incidental. <laughs> uh, so, you know, I just thought that would be a nice twist. It starts out and you think it's a kind of sad te- love song about someone's teenager. But actually, you know, the guitar is the star there. Yeah, most of them do just become incidental, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Which, by the way, uh, it, I'll go back to Queen, and there was the, the other line there that I just love that you put in there is, is the question, do I ever find love? Yeah. And I thought, what a great way to, to kind of phrase that, because one, it, there's an, it's a great enticement, you know, for stay tuned. Yeah, I mean, it, that's me imagining, you know, how my life could have gone any number of different ways, which... I'm sure lots of us have those thoughts sometimes. You you think, you know, the sliding doors image, you know, if you'd taken a different path, if you hadn't met that person, would you have done these things? For me, obviously, a lot of that's bound up with the fact that when I met Ben, you know, that affected so much of my life. You know, kick-started a career, you know, my entire adult relationship. Um, but you sort of think, well, but supposing we hadn't met, you know, would I, what would I have done? Would I have formed a band with someone else? Would I have, would I have done music at all? you know so this version of me that exists now you know it it sometimes feels like that's just one possible version there there could have been other other possible alternative versions and i think i'm just looking back with curiosity really just wondering Uh, you know you you mentioned ben i i I was thinking because a lot of folks when they get asked about a previous group or something you know it, it usually has to deal with a lot of people that they don't see in their lives you know on daily basis anymore and i thought what a unique situation that you have where you probably do get asked about everything but the girl and it's with a person that you see quite regularly i imagine so yeah yeah it does make me laugh sometimes when people say you know do you think you'll ever get back together with ben and i'm like uh well we just had breakfast (laughs) it's like what a unique situation that i can't name anyone else that sort of has that exact same thing but uh yeah have an an impact on on the question really you know the, the the question as to whether we would get back together as everything but the girl is not unrelated to the fact that we you know live together as a couple um you know living together and working together which we did for a long time um is is not the easiest thing in the world and you know we managed to make it work and i think we were very lucky um but we're that much older now we've got three kids together you know life becomes complicated enough and I, you know, we do have this conversation sometimes in which we 
admit that actually the space we're in now where we have you know independent working lives from each other i think is probably quite healthy i uh, imagine it is <laughs> so the, I, going back to that you know where we literally do everything together it, it's quite scary right well you know i i, I compliments where they do i i love the music that the two of you made together for those decades i really love the music that you've been making especially in the last decade uh, there are that's so many good songs that come out of that that's cool yeah tracy thank you so much this has been a lot of fun cool thanks very much yeah um take care and uh and i'll be awaiting the next record whenever that might come and and uh another book too right yes yeah there is another book coming along next year so yeah i'm finishing that at the moment as well (laughs) awesome well i'll be in line great thanks very much all right take care well thank you Bye. bye my thanks to tracy thorne her latest solo album is called record or record and again, thanks once again to Jill Sobiel and Sarah Bettens of K's Choice and you, uh, especially if you hit that subscribe button right now. Whether you're checking us out on YouTube, on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts from. After that, you can head over to WFPK.org. That's where I do a show every Monday through Thursday from noon to 3 Eastern, where you can also find some bonus episodes of this series. You can find me on Twitter at Kyle Meredith, Facebook slash Kyle Meredith. That's it for this week. I'm Kyle Meredith. I'll see you next time. Consequence Podcast Network. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Welcome to Prime Video's culture-rated collection. This is the place where Black is the main character, where we don't jump through hoops just to hear our voice and can fall in love with illuminating documentaries like Giannis' The Marvelous Journey. I'm just a hard worker that's trying to survive. Enjoy the animated series, The Second Best Hospital in the Galaxy. All doctors report immediately. Where we dive into something new like the latest season of Them, The Scare, and the award-winning American fiction. Welcome home, baby. Or add to the experience by buying or renting the biopic of a legend, Bob Marley, One Love. I want my music to unify people. And add on channels like Paramount Plus and Stars to bask in nostalgia with Beverly Hills Cop. This is the cleanest police car I've ever been in in my life. And BMF. You're about to take over the whole nation. Explore Prime Video's culture-rated collection and enjoy old-school greats and new-school hits. Prime Video. Find your happy place. Restrictions apply. See Amazon.com slash Amazon Prime for details.